Hello, and welcome to the On Time Autism Intervention Podcast, a podcast for parents of children three and younger, dedicated to providing accurate information about autism, autism intervention, and guidance for your new path. This podcast is brought to you by the University of Washington's On-Time Autism Intervention, or OTAI. We're a collaborative project led by the UW's Autism Center and Herring Center for Inclusive Education. Our work is supported by the Seattle Foundation and aims to increase equitable access to timely diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder and evidence-based intervention for young children and their families. We are so glad you're here. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the On-Time Autism Intervention Podcast. I'm so glad you're back. I'm Ashley Penny, and Jessica Greenson is on vacation. Welcome back to part two of the Introduction to Applied Behavior Analysis, or ABA. So you may recall in part one, we welcomed Dr. Eileen Schwartz to discuss uh, with us about what applied behavior analysis is. And this was really a pretty broad introduction to the science, the natural science of behavior. And so we were able to kind of discuss, um, different examples of that, what that might look like, and really, um, kind of thinking in a really large scale about the purpose behind this natural science. In part two, we're going to talk a little bit more specifically to parents who are just beginning to look into ABA and what that means for their child and give some kind of advice, really, again, pretty large scale, broad advice and direction um, for your first couple steps entering into this world of ABA. And as I've mentioned before, and we'll mention one more time here, we will spend more time talking about applied behavior analysis in future episodes and really helping kind of guide some of the questions that you might be asking yourself um, or asking the providers. Um, So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and just step right back into our discussion. Here we go. What many people... um, you know, who talk about applied behavior analysis in the treatment of autism get confused is they think that um, applied behavior analysis isn't, um, is a um, therapy or a curriculum, but what they're actually looking for are therapies or curricula that are influenced by applied behavior analysis. Um, So I, you know, um, for example, my staff and I have written a curriculum called Project Data that uses behavioral techniques, um, that uses applied behavior analysis um, to treat autism. Um, Early Start Denver model is another model that uses applied behavior analysis techniques to treat autism. It is Mm -hmm. not ABA. Mm -hmm. And we need to make sure that we, you know, it it gets hard because there are a lot of words in that sentence. And um, often people who are writing referral reports say, get ABA. They don't say get this or that or this, um, because what we also have learned is that many of the, most of the high quality name brand therapeutic 
interventions that use applied behavior analysis techniques, if done well by highly trained behavior analysts are equally good. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, those take a lot of words Mm -hmm. um, in a report. And so people often say, get ABA. Yeah. And it's hard too, because that kind of, I think sometimes there's not a lot of understanding because as you said, it's an entire natural science. So there's not a lot of understanding about what ABA is all the time on the part of the person who's writing that diagnostic prescription or, or evaluation report. But then also for parents, most parents, you know, this is the first time they've ever heard the acronym ABA. And so trying to kind of dive into that world of, you know, what is, what does this mean? And how do I know that I'm finding somebody good? Um, because we're talking about their most precious little, little person. Um, so what, you know, what questions do parents often ask you about ABA when they have young children or when they're kind of just, um, you know, starting off in this kind of new on this new path? Well, I'm going to rephrase your question if that's all right. Yeah. Um, It's always okay. You're allowed to do do that. I, I, I think that, um, I would like to rephrase the question to say, what questions should um, parents ask providers when they're looking yeah. for ABA providers? Mm-hmm. And the first thing that I would do is I would ask the provider, what is ABA? Mm-hmm. Um, and what do you do? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the thing is, is that ABA is a relatively new science. Um, you know, we can still trace back kind of the seminal writings to our science to 1968. Um, but the thing is, is that things have changed since 1968 mm-hmm. and practices have changed. You know, we would be um, amiss if in medicine we were doing the same things, say, in the treatment of breast cancer. Um, it, now that we were doing in 1968, yeah. it would, people would be horrified. Yeah. And so we should not be doing the same thing in the treatment of, you know, of autism that we are doing in, you know, that we Absolutely. were in 1968 applied how we practice applied behavior analysis has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to be aware of that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, for example, we think more about the family and the children and you know, in 1960, you know, in the early 1960s, when people first started treating children with autism, we weren't treating very young children. We were treating older kids. Um, so we have to think about what do we know about the early, the development of young children? Um, what do we know about the intersectionality of um, autism and um, culture and early development? Um, and all of those things that families bring to treatment, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, we have to think about all of those things because they're going to influence treatment. Um, we also have to realize that ABA is the way ABA is um, implemented is very different than almost any other kind of um, health or social service that I can think of in that 
um, you know, unlike S, you know, social, unlike speech therapy or physical therapy, or even uh, any kind of um, medical service, we, people often get ABA services for 10 or 15 hours a week. Mm-hmm. And I cannot think of any other service where people receive that much of it in a week. Yeah. Um, and so there's a very interesting dynamic there. Um, and so uh, you have to think about how that impacts um, what you're working on and the interaction between the um, therapy providers and the caregivers and where the service is provided. Um, so there are a lot of, there are a lot of hard questions that our field is still grappling with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned 10 to 15 hours a week. And I know that um, sometimes when people start looking into ABA, they hear more like 25, 40 hours a week. Um, but I also heard you talking a lot about the importance of understanding development of children three and under. And, um, you know, one of the things that we know and, and kind of will continue to talk about on this podcast is the ways that developmental areas overlap, um, particularly in really young kids. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if you could kind of speak a little bit to kind of, again, kind of in line with these questions that, parents could be asking providers, you know, maybe a little bit about what are some of the things, multidisciplinary teams, collaboration, developmental appropriateness, like, could you speak a little bit to some of those recommendations that you might make to parents? Sure. Well, um, so in our project and project data, one of the things, um, we always talk about is that, um, children with autism are children first. So the first thing I always ask, and I always ask parents is where would your child be if he or she did not have autism? So, you know, would he be in childcare? Would he be home with grandma? Would he be home with you? And what activities would be important to you? Um, Would it be important that he or she was, you know, doing you know, dance lessons or um, spending time with cousins or learning to swim or, you know, what is important to you and your family? Because um, the most important thing is that autism does not define your child and should not define your family. So you have to start thinking about how are you, you know, how, what is hap- what else is happening in your child's life? And um, so I, I always want to think about those things. And, and then the other thing that, that is definitional in, in, the pro, in our program is that I believe that every child with autism um, needs to be spending time with typically developing children every single day in a way um, that is programmatically helpful. So, you know, what we've known for well over 50 years now is that if you put children with and without disabilities in a room together without specialized programming, you're gonna get children with and without disabilities in a room together who don't interact. So if I want kids with and with, with and without disabilities to interact, I need to teach them how to do that because mm-hmm. you know we have kids with disabilities who really don't know how to interact. And so I, I need to provide some support and structure there. And so, we can do that. We know how to do that. We have mm-hmm. lots and lots of, stru- of strategies to do that for children of all ages. So I believe that um, children um, 
with autism need to be in programs with typically developing children from as early as possible. And I mean, as early as their parents feel comfortable with that. So um, they spend part of their day in a classroom with typically developing children, whether that's childcare or a developmental pre an integrated preschool program, and part of their day receiving specialized autism services. Because there are specialized services that children need who have autism that I believe are more difficult to provide in a fully inclusive program for some children. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's just, you know, it's just like teaching anything, you know, when you're learning to play golf, there is some benefit to going to a driving range to learn how to hit a golf ball. Um, now, if I can hit a golf ball at a driving range perfectly, it does not mean I know how to play golf. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I can hit a golf ball. So just like if I can, you know, if I'm a child with autism and I can close out every program in a, in a small clinic room with no typically chil developing children around, it does not mean that I know how to play games, have conversations, um, live my life with typically developing children. Mm -hmm. I can do that in isolation. That's not real life. Um, mm -hmm. I need to be able to do both, but there's a benefit to um, practice and teaching in uh, decontextualized settings, but the goal is to be able to use these skills in a meaningful and generalized way in the places that are of, that are important to the child and the family. I love that. I it, love that. And I love thinking about it from that mixture too, of, you know, kind of, um, set aside explicit practice opportunities that are maybe a little bit more focused and practice opportunities within those really important social environments or community environments. You know, at the end of the day, Ashley, our goal is an improved quality of life for children and families. Um, and so the reality is I don't know what that means for um, the, our clients. Only our clients knows what that means. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, so, and that could mean something different for every one of the clients on my caseload. Yeah. Um, you know, for some clients, it means, you know, I, I think of one client we had and it meant going to very noisy church services multiple days a week. It was very important that they learned how to do that. Yeah, we can teach them that. That's not a problem. For another family, you know, it meant learning how to, you know, go on long hikes. That's what their family did. We can teach them that, mm -hmm. you know, the issue is what's quality of life and what's family and community participation look like for your family. Mm -hmm. And let us help you get there um, because this child is a member of your family. Um, and let's, let's work on that together. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's a good, I think that, and I, I, hopefully that'll be a helpful thing for parents to keep in mind too, as they're listening to this and thinking about the questions that they will ask providers too. Um, and hoping that those, you know, something like what you said is part of the answer that they get too. Um, I have one more question cause I want to be mindful of your time. Um, and, and this could be probably a whole episode, but maybe we'll start with, uh, just a brief, you know, introduction into this. Um, there are, you know, when, when parents go online and start looking into ABA, they're likely to find, um, 
concerns that are voiced about ABA. Um, can you maybe speak a little bit to what you maybe would say to a parent who had concerns? Yeah. You know, I, well, first of all, I'm, I'm very sad when I hear that parents are, um, hearing concerns, you know, I, I remember, so I, I've been doing, um, uh, ABA with young children autism for a very long time. And, you know, so in fact, we've been running our project, project data since 1997. And I remember when we first started running it, you know, and we'd go to parents' house to talk to them. Um, uh, this was kind of almost pre-internet and I mean, we'd go to their houses and parents would have stacks of books on their couches that they had gone to the bookstore and bought every book about autism. And it was almost um, equally concerning because it was like, oh my God, don't read that one. You know, <laughs> and, and now, yeah. you know, and then it would be, you know, they do these Google searches and it would be like, oh my God, there'd be 13 million hits about, you know, autism and be like, oh, too much information. And, and now I hear that people are reading things that, um, you know, that ABA is harmful and, um, people have had bad experiences. And, and so first of all, I, I'm so sad that people have had bad experiences with ABA. Um, um, and, and that's all I can say about that is I'm mm-hmm. very sorry that people have had bad experiences with ABA. Um, and like with anything, um, I think I would want parents to be vigilant and ask consumers, uh, I mean, sorry, ask providers um, about what they do. Make sure you ask providers, are they certified? Um, Mm -hmm. Ask providers, you know, uh, what would you do if a child was, didn't want to come to session? You know, if I have a child who, when the, they, every time the provider uh, came to the house, the child started to cry. I'd be worried about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, trust your gut. Yeah. You know, if you think that's a problem and services, you know, mm-hmm. you're the, you're the parent, the child is your, you are the parent, you are the decision maker, trust your gut. But I think that in general, um, ABA is the best, most evidence-based approach we have to, um, uh, making meaningful gains, um, for people with autism. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that's the, and I need to trust that science and I've seen it work and, um, for many, many years. Mm -hmm. Um, but as a parent, if you see something, you know, if, you know, if you see something, say something, if you see something you don't like in the intervention, stop it. Yeah. Um, and if, a inter, if you, if an interventionist can't tell you, um, why that's happening. And if you don't like their answer, fire them, they work mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. I love that answer. That's a good one. And we will spend time in future episodes talking more about, you know, some of the concerns and also spending some time, um, with, questions and kind of prompts to help guide parents toward finding providers that are a good fit for them. Um, so hopefully, you know, that, that will also shed some light on, you know, when you ask this question, what types of answers should you expect? And then, you know, how much do you really advocate for that versus just kind of recognizing when it's time to head the other direction? So, um, 
Thank you so much for your time, Eileen. This has been awesome. Well, Ashley, I loved doing this. So if you want to do it ever again, I'm happy to, um, happy to do more. Awesome. Thank you. We'll be careful. Cause I'm going to ask you all the time. No, I, I, this was great. <laughs> this was really fun actually. So okay, um, good. Um, I'll be your, I'll be, I'll be a regular feature if you want me to. Awesome. I love it. This podcast represents the opinions of Drs. Ashley Penny and Jessica Greenson and our guests on the show. The content here should not be taken as clinical or medical advice and is for information purposes only. Because each child is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional with any specific questions. Views and opinions expressed on the podcast are our own. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we're sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or corrections of errors. This podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast, and in no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a doctor-patient relationship. Thank you.